Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing, who will be part of the CanMed 2020 conference in Pasadena, California, September 20th through 22nd. I am your host, Ben Amaralt. I am the marketing manager at Medicinal Genomics and proud member of the team that puts on the CanMed conference every year. Head over to canmedevents.com to learn more about this year's CanMed 2020 event and purchase your ticket at our early bird rate. On this episode, we talk with CanMed 2020 presenter Eloise Thiessen of Radical Health. Eloise is a board-certified adult geriatric nurse practitioner with over 20 years experience in nursing. She started her own cannabis practice about six years ago and since then has treated more than 6,000 patients with cannabis. There are very few healthcare professionals nationally with the same level of expertise and experience as Eloise. She is also the president of the American Cannabis Nurses Association and will serve as the president through 2022. Eloise made her first CanMed appearance at our 2019 event in a presentation sharing her experience using cannabis to treat geriatric patients. We talked about some of the unique challenges that come with working with seniors, including the stigma older patients have towards cannabis, how the endocannabinoid system changes as we age, and navigating drug interactions. We are excited to have Eloise as a presenter at CanMed 2020 this year, but that will not be her only contribution to the event. Eloise will also be an instructor at a full-day medical practicum, along with Dr. Bonnie Goldstein, Dr. Dustin Sulak, and Dr. Kevin Spellman. This is a great opportunity for healthcare professionals to learn about the latest research into cannabinoid therapies and also tap into the deep clinical experience the instructors have to offer. When you consider that most medical schools don't teach the endocannabinoid system, courses like this are really the only way healthcare providers can learn how to properly administer cannabinoid therapies. Attendees will walk away with practical information about the different types of extractions and products that are on the market and optimal dosing. Due to federal guidelines, CME credits for physicians are not available for the practicum. However, the course is approved by the California Board of Registered Nursing for 9.5 contact hours. Learn more at canmedevents.com practicum. The practicum kicks off this year's CanMed 2020 event on September 20th and will be followed by two full days of oral and poster presentations about the latest research into cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. Go to canmedevents.com now to see the latest collection of presenters and purchase your ticket to the event. We are currently offering early bird pricing through August 1st. We are also offering a 100% refund to ticket holders should CanMed 2020 need to be postponed due to COVID-19. Rest assured that we are closely monitoring the situation in California and working with the Pasadena Convention Center to make sure we can provide a safe environment for our staff, our attendees, and our presenters. And as of this recording, the event is still on, but just in case we have updated that refund policy, check out our website for details. Before we get to my conversation with Eloise, I'd like to thank this episode's sponsor, Radical Health. 
Radical Health helps patients, healthcare professionals, and retailers navigate the complexities of cannabis medicine through patient care, clinical education, community education, and industry training. Learn more at RadicalHealthCare.com. And finally, this episode of the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast is fueled by the Hemp and Coffee Exchange. Hemp Coffee is a healthy, delicious, natural product rich in trace minerals and nutrients, providing sustained energy without the crash of regular coffee. For more information, check out HempCoffeeExchange.com and use the promo code DRINKHEMP, all one word, to get 10% off your next purchase. Okay, without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Eloise Thiessen of Radical Health. Eloise, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're very excited to have you as part of CanMed 2020. And I know you're going to be quite busy out there because yeah. you're wearing a lot of hats for us this year, which we definitely appreciate. You're a member of the advisory board, which is excellent. You're helping us weed through all the abstracts and select the best speakers. Um, you're going to be an oral presenter again, which we're very excited about. And you're also a big part of our medical practicum which um, is going to be a great addition to this year's event. Um, and I know that you you come from a, a nursing background, which I think is going to be a really nice addition to, to this year's um, practicum or CME event. So I was wondering if you yes. could speak a bit more about um, what that practicum is going to cover. And um, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a jam-packed day. I know we're planning on doing about um, nine and a half hours worth of content for those who attend. And I'm really excited that we're going to be covering, you know, pediatrics to geriatrics, you know, looking at chronic pain, looking at a panel for dosing, kind of talking about how we as clinicians approach patients differently. So I think we're going to have some really exciting content that they won't find during the, you know, regular CanMed presentation. So we really did try to make sure when we were looking at abstracts that we had good diversity among topics and stuff that people would get excited about. And if I'm not mistaken, that medical practicum will be um, some continuing education nursing credits will be available for that. Is that true? Yeah. So they had a hard time getting continuing education credits for physicians and pharmacists, but I'm a continuing education provider in California. So I'm able to offer nursing continuing education credits for nurses, nurse pra- advanced practice, nurse practitioners that come in. So I'm really excited about that. Nine and a half hours worth of continuing education credits towards their license. Yeah, that's great. And in advance of this call, I, I did watch your CanMed 2019 presentation again, which is excellent. I encourage mm-hmm. everyone to go and check that out on CanMedEvents.com. I'll, I'll drop a link in the show description. Um, and one thing that you mentioned is that we need to get more nurses educated about cannabis and, and more involved. So uh, I know that you are president of the American Cannabis Nurses Association. So I was wondering if you could speak a bit about uh, what you all do there. Absolutely. So we're a national nursing organization. We're celebrating our 10th year this year, hard to believe. Um, it was started back in 2010 by Mary Lynn Mathry and a few others. And we're now at about 1,350 members. We have a few in Canada and Australia. 
So we do have some uh, global presence as well. And our mission really is to improve nursing excellence through education, advocacy, research, policy development. So we've been working really hard to, you know, get more eyes on us because we really do feel like nurses are going to help lead the change. You know, we outnumber physicians five to one. We really are the the boots on the ground, the, the workforce in the medical community. And I think people have seen that with uh, COVID, <laughs> you know, how nurses have really been on the front lines caring for these patients. So I, I think the more that we can get nurses educated, uh, the more that we can, the more patients we can reach. Yeah. And one of the things that stood out to me from your presentation is you had mentioned you were talking with dispensary owners and they had said that it's not uncommon for them to spend a half hour to an hour with new patients, mostly seniors, who are, are trying to kind of navigate their, their cannabis journey and try to figure out what's good for them. And I have to imagine from a, a clinician perspective, that's got to be a little concerning that these patients are kind of going to the dispensary for this medical education. And as knowledgeable as they, certain, as they are in most dispensaries, they're not clinicians. No. And I mean, in California, it's very clear that you're not to give any medical advice. However, it's sort of this, you know, it's this, I don't know if I want to say catch 22, but it's, it's awkward because most clinicians don't want to be referred to as the pot doc or the pot nurse. Um, so they're not necessarily interested in getting into this field. They're still concerned the fact that it's a schedule one drug. So often, you know, the, the dispensary staff are the first ones to meet the patients and they're there for them. And I'm, you know, as a clinician, I'm grateful that they have someone to work with. I would like to see an increase in scope of, you know, some standardization around scope of practice, some, you know, mandatory training so that we can have, you know, at least some consistency in, you know, how we approach uh, patients, you know, when should they be referring them to a clinician, you know, because it's, there's such a high turnover rate in the dispensaries here in California that you get a lot of um, myths and misconceptions get repeated. You know, as a clinician, I've had my patients go to the dispensary to pick up their cannabis and then the dispensary staff will contradict what I say. Um, so it can be really confusing to the patient. You know, they're already scared and overwhelmed and intimidated. Um, and so if they go into an environment that, that their, um, you know, clinician's advice is being contraindicated, it really puts them in an awkward position, you know, like, well, what am I supposed to do? And because um, they can be really, you know, we can be very passionate about cannabis. We can be very convincing <laughs> sometimes um, from both ends, you know, the dispensary staff and the clinician. So I just worry about seniors who, you know, have a high risk of drug to drug interactions or a high risk for falls. Um, potentially getting information that could lead to an adverse event and then they never use it again. Right. And one of the things that you had mentioned there was um, kind of referring to a clinician. And is that is that something that's sort of common for maybe dispensaries to be referring patients to you? Or is that not how you're you're seeing most of your patients? No, I, well, I have a few um, companies that I've worked with here locally in the Bay Area that, that know I'm here and will refer, um, you know, some of the more complex patients or, or customers that come to them. Most of my referrals now are coming from some of the larger health systems like UC Davis, Stanford, UCSF. 
um, those physicians and clinicians refer their very complex patients to me who, you know, want to use cannabis as a, a treatment for things like chronic pain, anxiety, depression, sleep. So that's exciting to me that we're seeing that shift where it's the, I know my patients are going to use it. I don't know anything about it. My policy, or my hospital policy doesn't allow me to really engage with the patient in this area, but here's a trusted clinician. Yeah, that's fantastic. And that's a really good sign that the doctors are, are opening up to, to the idea of using cannabis medicine. And I know with the population you're working with, there is certainly a stigma associated with, with using cannabis. So how difficult <laughs> is that to sort of navigate when you, when you're taking on new patients? Um, you know, it's, it, it still catches me off guard sometimes, you know, because it's um, it, just to see how deep the stigma goes. You know, we will see patients come in who are still arms crossed, you know, against their, you know, their body language is very, you know, um, shut off, you know, like, I, I can't believe I'm here talking to you about this. And they're almost a little bit like angry or irritated that they've quote unquote resorted to this drug. Um, and, and often by the end of the consultation through education, they start to kind of open up and see it a little bit differently and, you know, building that trusting relationship with them and giving them the space to, to be uncomfortable and to be hesitant and, and to explore those with them really helps them, I think, become more open. And there are times when I've met with people who are so still so hesitant and resistant that I will be very honest with them and say, this isn't going to work with you unless you keep an open mind. You know, so sometimes they're bringing, they're putting up such big roadblocks that they're not going to be successful. So it's, it's fascinating. I may still have one lady I've been treating for over five years who hasn't told her adult children that she's using it because she spent her whole life telling them to stay away from it. So this guilt and shame that she has around it. And I'm like, they know you're doing better. So what do you tell them? you know, what's your success? What are you, what are you sharing with them? And she said, Oh, I just tell them, you know, I'm just doing alternative things. Um, hmm. you know, well, so. I wonder if they can read between the lines. <laughs> I was like, you know, kids are a lot smarter than you think they are, even if they're adults. <laughs> right. And another thing I was curious about with, you know, working with older patients is when, when I spoke with uh, Dr. Bonnie Goldstein a few episodes ago, um, I was surprised to learn that children sort of tolerate the effects of THC better than adults. Um, mm -hmm. She needs to actually kind of increase the dose um, for children. And I was wondering, is that the same or similar with seniors? Do they sort of have a, uh, a difference in sensitivity to cannabis? Well, it's yes, it's the opposite, though. They tend to, you know, as we age, our metabolism slows down. Um, our ability to process medications decreases by about 30%. So often they need less. Um, and I've had some times where I can, I had one gentleman who was responding to 0 0.33 milligrams of CBD. Um, we had given it to him daily and he was still having adverse effects from it. So we did it every three days and that was his dose that he tolerated. So you see that they are, um, more likely to have side effects and that low dosages are often enough. And sometimes they don't even need it daily because, you know, they're building, it's building up and accumulating and they don't eliminate it as quickly as kids will. Hmm. 
Well, I suppose that's a good thing in terms of uh, cost savings. Yes, yes, especially with taxes making it so expensive, it does help. Absolutely. And another thing I wanted to go back to, you said, you know, a lot of your first consultations with folks sometimes is a lot about education. I'm curious, what are sort of the the resources or, or the tools you use for education that seem to to resonate with, uh, with your patients? Yeah, I've learned over the years to have a lot of backup materials, um, you know, because I, I am fortunate enough to have, you know, 30 to 45 minutes with each new patient to really sit with them and and understand their health history and, and help, you know, talk about their goals and then educate them on the plant. But, you know, it's, it's such a steep learning curve that they tend to forget a lot of that information. So I do a lot of reinforcement with materials and handouts that I provide them. But I think the the conversation that I love having with them is, is talking about that euphoria that they're so scared of um, because it's, you know, the, the one thing that they'll come in, you know, often and say, don't you dare recommend, or, you know, they usually say prescribe, you know, don't you dare prescribe THC for me, Eloise. I do not want to get high. And, you know, I'll usually smile really big and say, well, tell me more. What's that mean? <laughs> What's it mean to get high? Um, so we have this great conversation about euphoria and how, you know, it can help them be more relaxed and maybe more communicative with their spouse and improve their mood, um, you know, and help them, them just feel better. And, and that, you know, when you present it to them that way, they're like, well, that doesn't sound so bad, you know, (laughs) um, giving them that permission to, to feel good because, you know, we're encouraged to find recreation in so many areas of our life. But if that recreation is cannabis, we're shamed, um, for it, right? It's it's considered a bad thing. So giving them that permission and educating them on it usually really um, it's it's it improves their quality of life greatly. It's really fun to watch. Right. Um, and so, typically, what sort of are the the ratios that you're using to treat um, the different conditions that that you're presented with? Well, as I always like to say, it depends. Of um, yeah, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I do find uh, gender, I do find differences among males and females, and that's part of what I'll be presenting at CanMed with the dementia population. Um, you know, and I, I'm, I like to start out with one cannabinoid at a time. Again, because the older adult tends to be more sensitive, and they're more likely to have drug-to-drug interactions or even side effects from cannabis, if I can isolate, you know, one cannabinoid at a time, I have a better sense of, you know, if they're having a reaction, you know, it's clearly it's THC or it's clearly CBD. There are cases where I will be a little bit more aggressive and start out. I I do like a a one-to-one for pain um, of CBD and THC. Um, But a lot of times it's sort of one cannabinoid building on the other. and, And I don't, go to ratios too often because I like to individualize it so much for them. Interesting. So one of the things I I had prepared to ask was, are you on the side of whole plants or isolated compounds? And it seems from that answer that you're more in the camp of the isolated compounds. Well, I don't know that I pick isolated compounds. Um, I, I, I pick whole plant THC products or whole plant CBD products or, okay. or, or, or full spectrum CBG or full spectrum CBDA. Um, so there will always be minor other cannabinoids in there, but the majority of it would be you know a CBD dominant regimen that I start out with. 
um, and they have some, you know, small amounts of THC. But I'm not, you know, I, I rarely use isolates, um, but I'm not opposed to them because there are some some cases where it seems appropriate, but it's the minority. Okay, so are some terpenes getting involved there too? Yeah, I mean, I wish that um, we did a better job of providing a COA to to consumers and patients and clinicians so that we could identify these cannabinoid terpene profiles and then, you know, use that to be able to, to repeat it, you know, identify what, what this profile is that's working so well so that it can be repeatable instead of going in and telling them, oh, we'll go back and get OG Kush or Blue Dream or, you know, some of these chemovar names that really aren't, aren't a good indication of what's in, you know, what's in the, the product um, and may, may be misleading and not repeatable. Absolutely. And I actually just recently spoke with Cindy Orser, who is a, um, uh, she's on the lab test, lab testing side. And she was really talking about the importance of testing for terpenes and how um, that's sort of a blind spot for a lot of patients or a lot of consumers that are just going there and seeing the THC, CBD, um, and then kind of making assumptions on a, a product based on that. And they could really have a very different experience based on the terpene profile. Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes I had this really interesting case just last week where this woman had an incredibly complex medical history. I mean, I was a little intimidated by it and I was looking at her allergy list and she was allergic to black pepper. Uh, and I said, well, tell me what your allergy is to black pepper. And she said, oh, I get like an itchy throat. And um, I said, do you have a hard time breathing? I, you know, I wanted to see the severity of it. And she said, no. And um, I said, okay, well, this product that I'm about to recommend to you has beta carotheline in it, which, you know, is thought to, you know, we know comes from black pepper. And so I want to, you know, make sure we're monitoring you for potential side effects or an allergic reaction. Um, and so she started out at a low dose and was tolerating it quite well, checked in with her on day five and she was doing well. Um, and then she increased her dose that night and um, woke up with hives all over her body. Wow. So I have to assume that she was having an allergic reaction to the increased dose because of the beta carotheline. Wow. How about that? So, mm -hmm. so are there any any terpenes that you tend to favor in when you're kind of recommending um, products for your patients? Definitely beta-carophylline. Mm -hmm. I like that terpene. If I can find linalool uh, and myrcene, I'll definitely use those as well. Um, you know, but again, it, it can be hard to identify. You know, I like to use companies that I know are sort of vertically integrated and are mm -hmm. using the same chemovar. So, you know, once once I've identified those products and the, the terpene cannabinoid profile, I, I like to use them because I'm like, okay, we'll likely get some consistency here. But, you know, a lot of products today are distillates and it's kind of hard to, to really geek out on terpenes. Right. And another thing that came up when I was talking to Cindy was that a lot of these producers, manufacturers are now actually putting in terpenes into their blends and um, into vape cartridges and, and things like that. And 
her concern was that they might actually be overdoing it and putting too many terpenes in there and what are sort of the downstream effects of that. So yeah, um, that was really interesting. To... Oh, I'll have to listen to that as that's definitely my concern as well is, you know, w- when we're, you know, do we know what levels of terpenes should be in these products? I mean, what are we basing it off of? And, um, you know, now recently I've seen some of these hemp um, companies testing their products for minerals, phosphorus, magnesium, potassium. Mm. And, you know, we don't have any standards around these levels. And I've seen, you know, you know, these levels are high of phosphorus and potassium and magnesium. And I'm like, well, how does that affect the end user? Um, Especially some of my patients who may have a history of cardiac disease or kidney disease where they can't have these high levels of potassium or magnesium, you know, is it, is it impact? Maybe it's not. I don't know, but I'm curious about it, you know, just as I am with terpenes. Yeah, uh, I was pretty sure, I'm, I should say, um, when I spoke with her, she had mentioned that she had tested some products and the terpene levels were as high as like 20%, where, oh, yeah, <laughs> where <laughs> naturally occurring in the plant, like it rarely gets higher than five. So that's mm. quite, the, quite the increase. So I told her that it might be a good potential can med topic. So Absolutely. if uh, anyone out there is listening, is curious, please do that research. We'd love to have you. Um, I want to go back to the whole idea of the stigma, but not less on the patient side here, maybe more on the provider side. Um, and I guess the first question is, you know, how many other geriatric providers are out there kind of treating patients with cannabis? Um, is that number growing? I know that the number of seniors who are using cannabis is growing, but are the number of clinicians they can turn to is that growing as well? You know, it's hard for me to assess that. I would say no, at least not at the rate that I would like it to be. Um, you know, it's just so many of them are coming to their clinicians now and, and asking about it. And their clinicians are like, yeah, that's fine if you want to use it. And then it kind of ends there. So there's um, there's no real opportunities for these seniors to get more information about it. I think we're seeing, and I probably have a skewed view of it, but I do see more nurses getting into hmm. into it around education and advocacy. But you know, not I'm not seeing geriatrician, you know, geriat- geriatricians um, get into it. You know, and again with my work with the Alzheimer dementia patients, I get a lot of um, referrals because they don't they don't want to, or their their hospital policy is they can't. Right. So it could be a situation where uh, a patient comes to their doctor, says they're interested in it, but they don't feel comfortable and kind of refer to to someone like yourself. Mm -hmm. Now, how does that vary from state to state? I know that, you know, nurse practitioners in some states can administer medications and kind of do a a full practice where in other states it's more limited. Um, Mm -hmm. How do you navigate that? Well, not you specifically, but how is that a difficulty for some patients? <laughs> well, nurse practitioners have been trying to get full practice authority forever. Um, right. You know, in California requires a collaborative, collaborative relationship. So I have a physician who is my medical director. Um, so in some states, they can have full practice authority where they, they don't need to work with a physician. And, um, you know, there's it's, it's tough because, you know, we're, we're educated to, um, assess and diagnose and interpret lab results and x-rays and, um, 
in some states say, yes, we can do that without a physician. And some states say that we can't. And it, it's, it really makes no sense to me, obviously. Um, and you just see more and more research coming out about how nurse practitioners have better outcomes because, and I talked about this at CAMED last year, you know, we spend more time with our patients. We're less likely to prescribe opioids. We're less likely to have patients become, uh, go back to the emergency room or be readmitted after they leave the hospital because of our level of care. So, you know, in California, I would say, um, you know, because we have to have this collaborative relationship, what has happened is many of these physicians hire what they they call us mid-level practitioners or providers, um, and they can charge a physician rate for us to see a patient and then pay us an hourly rate. So it really does, to, you know, work to their benefit financially to have nurse practitioners under a physician and not be able to practice autonomously. Um, so I'll just leave that at that. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I'm familiar with nurse practitioners and it seems like they're really kind of filling the void in, in primary care because, you know, there are a lot of, there are fewer physicians who are going into primary care or family practice, mm-hmm. um, you know, because of reimbursement rates and things like that. So yeah. um, I think you all are, are filling a, a valuable need and, and you're right, uh, tend to take more of a kind of holistic approach, whole body approach instead of sort of um, specialized yeah. Therapeutics. So. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's hysterical to me because that's like, you know, physicians come out of school and they don't want to get into primary care, like you said, because of the reimbursement rates, but yet they're blocking us from having full practice authority. So it's just, <laughs> right. this, you know, like, okay, you can't have it both ways. <laughs> so to anyone who's listening now and, you know, maybe has an older relative who they think might be might benefit from cannabis medicine, what's their first step? Like what, what could they do to, to help out their loved one? Well, you know, if it's a serious medical, if they have a serious, you know, uh, medical history, I would certainly look in the area to see if there are any, you know, knowledgeable cannabis clinicians, knowledgeable CBD clinicians who can help, you know, do a thorough health history and determine, you know, risk versus benefit of, of using the cannabis. And, and you know, my, the thing I always tell people is if you're going to work with a cannabis clinician, make sure they're telling you, you know, how much to take, how often to take it. They're reviewing potential side effects that you may have from the cannabis therapy, potential drug to drug interactions, and that they're, they're monitoring them so that they can adjust things as they go. Because, you know, often people, come to cannabis and lately CBD and they just think that it's a one and done. I'm going to take this and it's going to be good to go. And, you know, because their friends or other people they know are having success already. So it really is, you know, sometimes it can take um, months for us to get them the right treatment plan, you know, especially if they're suffering from age related and chronic illness, you know, it's not a silver bullet. It's not going to just work overnight. Right. And so, I guess, where do you start with, sure, you said that can kind of be this, this long process. So where do you start? Yeah, with me particularly, um, I mean, someone will book an appointment with me and I have them fill out a very thorough health history. And then we have the appointment, um, you know, discussing the goals. And sometimes I'll identify other things that I think cannabis could be helpful with. 
Um, and then, you know, what I do is provide them with a treatment plan. Here's, you know, here's the cannabinoid profile I want you to, to obtain. Here's how I want you to take it. Um, I go very low and slow, obviously, because 90% of the people I, that come to me are cannabis naive. I mean, they, they haven't even touched it ever. Um, so I try to empower them in terms of, you know, giving them a treatment plan that says, take this dose, wait three days. And if your side, you know, your symptoms are still there, then you increase it to this dose. So it's very, um, I spell it out for them as much as I can, you know, so that they really can feel confident in the way that they're approaching it, you know, that they have, we're again, building that trust. Um, and giving them an opportunity to see how it affects them and take note of it and, and take a journal and, and write it down and, and start empowering them to be more involved in their healthcare and outcomes. Um, not, not everybody has access to somebody like me. And so that's the challenge, challenge right? right. Um, especially if you're in a state that's uh, illegal. Um, so, you know, it's, there's, you know, obviously the American Cannabis Nurses Association, there's Soci Society of Cannabis Clinicians. Um, these are nonprofit organizations that are helping to educate and train more clinicians out there um, to try to reach, you know, as many people as we can. And do you have a preferred route of administration or something that seems to work better than others? Or is it sort of patient dependent? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly have found, um, you know, certain conditions will respond to certain, you know, to different routes better. Um, somebody who has severe chronic pain, uh, inhalation tends to be the most effective. It works quickly. It's the most predictable. It gives them the most control over their experience. Um, and so there sometimes can be a lot of education around that because they may come to me and say, you know, I'm not going to smoke it. And it's very counterintuitive to think that inhaling anything is going to benefit their health. But, you know, giving them some education around that often, if they won't um, consider it at first, they may come back to it if there's, you know, just like, I'm like, how successful do you want to be? You know, are we just going to dance around a little bit or do you want to go straight to what I think is going to help you right away? Um, and sometimes they'll say, I'd rather dance around it a little bit. You know, <laughs> um, you know older people definitely... Um, come to me and they want a cream you know they're like I want a cream or a balm or a salve so like a topical um, and then a tincture is often um, probably the second thing that I'll recommend because um, it's you know easy for them to kind of titrate and it feels more medicinal to them they tend to overeat edibles right because they taste good and they don't really understand the delayed onset and you know even if I do educate them and say just take one I can't tell you how many times I've gotten a call like well that was really strong okay well how many did you take oh I ate the whole thing okay like, <laughs> I told you you know and, and you do you try to tell them not to and it's just you know like I said people forget <laughs> So they're not going to overconsume a tincture because they do, generally don't taste that great. <laughs> right. And, and I know your presentation this year is going to be talking about treating patients with Alzheimer's and dementia. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit more to that. Yeah, it's an area that I really have enjoyed um, being a part of. And I'm fortunate in my area. I've had some assisted living communities and boarding care facilities that have been early adopters and willing to dispense, you know, cannabis to their residents because, um, 
you know, we don't have any FDA approved pharmaceuticals for their behavior as they go into these severe agitation and aggressive behaviors. So often they're given these off-label medications that just have horrible side effects and black box warnings, meaning, you know, the risk of death is higher in this population. So it's very, you know, stressful for the family. Uh, It's stressful for the staff at these communities that are caring for them. And, you know, we have been trying cannabis. We, We started this about five years ago. And it's just grown, you know, and now, I mean, sometimes when the residents, before they even come into the facility, the family's like, call Eloise, (laughs) get on this regimen, because they see such great success in terms of managing, you know, they're more redirectable, um, they're calmer, sometimes they're kind of, you know, laughing again, Um, you know, all of those benefits of that euphoria um, that we can see in in this population is just, uh, it's life changing when it works. Well, I know that prior to your presentation at CAMA 2019, which you can see at CAMAEvents.com, nice little plug there, you had <laughs> mentioned the story um, of Lucy at the beginning of the presentation, which was really interesting. And you had said that you actually, uh, after getting her onto cannabis, actually managed to get her dementia diagnosis removed. Is that correct? Her daughter did all that hard work. Yep. And how- They had it how- removed. How typical is that? That sounds pretty remarkable. I would say, um, you know, they're an exa- that family is an example of a family that just w- was so supportive, right? Um, when, when Lucy got her, her mind back and lost all that weight and, you know, there, there was no dementia anymore. And the daughter was just a fierce advocate for her mom. And had Kaiser remove it from her diagnosis, list of diagnoses. It's very uncommon. Wow, that's amazing. It's really mm-hmm. powerful. Mm-hmm. All right, before she's I let still, you go. She's still with us too. Excellent. <laughs> yep. All right, before I let you go, I wanted to give you uh, an opportunity to um, plug your company, plug uh, your social media, uh, anything, any way that people can learn more about you or get in touch with you. Sure. Great. Thank you. Um, You can definitely visit our website at www.radicalhealthcare.com. And that's R-A-D-I-C-L-E healthcare.com. You can learn more about booking a consultation with me and also our educational platform that we have for healthcare professionals. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn at Eloise Thiessen and uh, at Twitter, our handle is at Radical Healthcare. And I think Instagram too. I don't manage all of that. So I'm not the best at (laughs) plugging that. Um, If you're interested in learning more about the American Cannabis Nurses Association, it's cannabisnurse.org is, uh, excuse me, cannabisnurses, it's plural.org is our website. And uh, we're going to have our conference, which I believe um, we'll be sharing some some tables. I think uh, medicinal genomics will have a table at our conference in December of 2020 in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Absolutely. Um, And I will put all those links into the show description. So listeners, you don't have to feverishly write all that stuff down. I'll put that in the (laughs) description for you. Um, So thanks again, Eloise, for joining me. And we're really excited to have you as part of CAMA 2020. Um, And we will see you out in Pasadena. I can't wait. Thanks for having me, Ben. It was a pleasure. 
hope you enjoyed my conversation with Eloise Thiessen. Check out the links in the show description to learn more about the topics we discussed, and please also check out the Radical Health website. Our next episode will drop July 22nd. In the meantime, please go to canmedevents.com slash coffee talk and sign up for email updates. That will enter you into a drawing to win two tickets to our CanMed 2020 VIP dinner and keep you up to date on all things CanMed 2020. If social media is your thing, you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Just search for CanMed Events. And lastly, if you are listening on a podcast app, go ahead and hit the subscribe button so that new episodes automatically download to your device. And if you'd like to leave us a five-star review, that'd be nice too. All right, that is it from us. Stay safe, stay healthy, and be sure to come back for the next episode of CanMed Coffee Talk.